title of our lesson this morning, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, up there on that introduction slide or that announcement slide a little bit ago, I had kind of cut it short just because I didn't have room for all of it on there, but uh, that's kind of the full title for Romans 10th chapter and verse 13. Call, we're going to talk about calling on the name of the Lord and what is required in order to be saved. And then how do we reconcile Romans 10.13 and Matthew 7.21? And I'll talk about that as we go along. So three points. Is calling His name enough? And then calling on in the way that's used in the New Testament. And then we'll look at some examples of those calling on the name of the Lord in order to be saved. Now, some people might hear this and they might think, well, that's kind of a basic introductory type of lesson, isn't it? You know, what, what does it take in order to be saved? Well, yes, that's part of it. But I'll tell you the other part of that. Romans 10 and verse 13 is written to those who are already Christians. <laughs> so Paul is explaining something there that they need to understand, that we need to understand also. So most everybody agrees that Romans is one of the more doctrinal letters uh, that are in, written in the New Testament. And it takes a great deal of study, a great deal of reading to really grasp it and to understand it and to um, fully appreciate all that Paul is saying there. So I would encourage you to read it. Read it again. And then read it again. And when you think you know it, read it again. <laughs> And then you'll see how it kind of starts to fall naturally into sections. Paul is talking about a system of faith versus a system of law. And so that needs to be appreciated. But another thing that needs to be appreciated from the book of Romans is Paul talks about the basis for our salvation and then conditions for salvation. And that needs to be understood also. And then there are various phrases that are used in the book of Romans. And one of them this morning that is used in this book, we need to understand it. So we fully appreciate what Paul is saying whenever he says, Who shall ever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now here's the bookends to the book of Romans. It's chapter 1 and verse 5. And chapter 16 and verse 26. I'm going to read them to you. These are the bookends to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1 and verse 5. Through Him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. Obedience to the faith. There's a system of faith that is revealed in the book of Romans. Chapter 16 and verse 26. As Paul is closing this letter... He says, by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. Now, sometimes people read that and they say obedience to the faith. We as human beings have a tendency to kind of push back whenever we read words like Obey. (laughs) Obedience. That's what Edwin talked about this morning in Romans chapter 1, 24 through 32. And they rejected God and God gave... They were pushing back against that authority. 
So let me give you another way to take a look at that based upon what is taught within the book of Romans before we jump right into our main points. Apply it like this, or think about it like this. When he says, obedience to the faith, think this. Paul is saying, take this and apply it to your life. Think about it like that. What I'm giving you, just take this. It's free. Take it and apply it to your life. Now let me give you an illustration to go along with that. Used to be a lot of malls around, but there are still malls around various places. You go strolling through the mall and they will have these various little kiosks set up and sometimes there'll be cosmetics and these kind of things and sometimes there'll be these ladies there and as ladies walk by, men too sometimes, they'll come walking by and they'll go, can I show you something? Can I show you something? And you go up there and talk to them and the ladies go over there and talk to them and they want to show you this like beauty cream. And they show you these before and they show you these after pictures. Now, in essence... <laughs> What they're just now saying to you is, you need this. <laughs> they're not that rude. But they're saying, look at this beauty cream. See what it did for this person? If you apply this, and then they show you that after picture, right? Oh, wow, all those wrinkles are gone, and that cracked skin is gone, and that dry skin. It, it's a, See how messed up? In other words, that's the way you look. <laughs> look at this mirror. Look in the mirror right here. Put this on every day, every night. And then later, you'll look like this. You know what that is? That's the book of Romans. Chapters 1 through 3, Paul's saying, look in the mirror. You think that's messed up? That's you. Now, chapters 4 through 11, here's the solution. Here's the cream. Here's the salve. Here's the balm. Apply this. Chapter 12 through 16, this is the way your life will look afterwards. You see that? Now, if you think that's just kind of a silly illustration that I came up with, it's based upon Jeremiah the 8th chapter. Because the Lord asked, is there no balm in Gilead? That word balm means healing medicine, healing cream. And he's saying, is there none? And what he's saying through Jeremiah is, there is. The problem is, you just haven't taken it and applied it. That's what he's saying. So now then, when we come to the book of Romans, that's what Paul is doing. He's saying, this is the situation. Take this and apply it, and then this is the way it will turn out. So Romans 10 and verse 13, it's actually in the midst of that application. <laughs> that's where that verse comes in. So I want you to keep in mind as we take a look at this this morning. I'm going to start off reading from the book of Acts because that's where this phrase is used in the New Testament. Peter uses it on the day of Pentecost. And he actually quotes from Joel, 
from the Old Testament. Joel's looking forward to a time in the future. And he's talking about those who call upon the name of the Lord. And in Acts chapter 2, if you back up and read the entirety of the chapter, or as Peter begins to preach, he said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So in other words, this was prophesied a long time ago. What's happening here today on the day of Pentecost is the fulfillment of what Joel said in Joel chapter 2. And then down in verse 21, Acts chapter 2 at about verse 21, he says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Joel's pointing forward. There's going to come a time. And whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, don't jump too far ahead. <laughs> don't get ahead of me. Just think about what he just said. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter quotes it. Paul quotes it. And so some people will go, well, that settles it, right? Because there's an apostle on the day of Pentecost. There's an apostle later. He writes it. So that settles it. All you have to do in order to be saved is just call upon the name of the Lord and it says they'll be saved. You know what the problem is with that? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Because what Jesus said. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. And so now they're kind of like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> we got the letters in red, <laughs> and then we got the letters that are written by apostles. So which ones do we take? Well, they're all important, aren't they? So instead of picking and choosing, going, oh, well, I'll go with Peter and Paul, and I'm going to not go with Jesus. And then somebody says, well, I'm going with Jesus, but I'm not going to listen to Pete. That's not the way to approach it. Whenever you come to the Scriptures, when you come to the truth, keep this in mind. Truth never contradicts itself. So you've got to figure out how does that fit together? How do we reconcile Romans 10 and verse 13 and Acts 2.21 and Joel with what Jesus said in the sermon on the mount. Or Jesus said in Luke 6. Why call me Lord, Lord. And then not do the things which I say. So this is what happens sometimes. People read those. Or they're told that by various people. And they're saying. All I want to know. Is what do I got to do to be saved. And one guy told me all I have to do is just call on the Lord. Another guy's telling me I got to do what Jesus says. And they throw up their hands. And they're frustrated. And sometimes people just say, if it's that confusing, I don't know if I want any part of it. And so they walk away. And whenever they do that, you know who wins? Satan wins. So I want to read something to you from the book of Matthew. Matthew, the 13th chapter. This is the parable of the sower. 
In Matthew chapter 13, I'll just read verse 18 and 19. Matthew 13 and verse 18. Jesus now explains. Therefore, hear the parable of the sword. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. Hear what he's saying? Jesus is saying, you know, sometimes people will hear the word and they don't understand it. But instead of taking the time to dig in, Satan comes along, he's whispering in your ear, don't worry about it. You don't need all that confusion. And he snatches it away. And then they never know. And guess who wins? So whenever we come to these passages and it's kind of like, wait a minute, I don't, one's saying just call, another one's saying I got to do it. It's like, what Jesus wants you to do? <laughs> Stay the course, dig in. Figure out what's being said. Then you'll benefit from this word. Some I'll give you a little clarification as we think about this calling on the name of the Lord. And we've got to keep in mind that whenever it talks about calling on the name of the Lord, and we'll see, that it means more. And that's what Jesus is saying. It means more than just saying, Lord, Lord, save me. Okay. Even in our modern day vernacular, we understand that calling on someone means more than just calling their name. A number of years ago, my mother, before she passed away, was in long-term care for a while. There was a doctor that would come by in the evenings, and I got to know him fairly well because I spent a lot of time there, and he came most every day. And he would tell me, I've got so many patients to call on. I never did hear him just walk into my mom's room and go, Doris, Doris. <laughs> but he would come in and he might check the charts and he might examine her and he might talk to the on-duty nurse and so forth. And then he might prescribe other medicines or some other kind of treatment. And he called on her. And he would call on other patients. So I understood when he said, I have to call on patients. He was not just calling their name. Now back it up just a little bit further, okay? Let's go back to the early 20th century, maybe late 19th century. Did you ever hear the phrase used when a young man was interested in a young lady? And he would call on her. I don't think they just pulled up in front of their house and yelled, hey, Lucy. <laughs> that meant he was going to see her, take her out on a date. He was calling on her. And so we understand whenever it says call on, that there's more than just saying their name that is involved in all that. So just simply calling that name is not enough. Okay, that's just point number one. 
calling on as it's used in the New Testament. Back to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 25 and about verse 11 there. It's talking about the Apostle Paul, and most of us that we studied through the book of Acts not long ago, we recall that at the end of the third missionary journey, the Apostle Paul returned down to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 21. And then there were some that were charging him that he had taken a Greek into the temple and so forth, and there was a riot that broke out, and he ends up getting arrested. Right? And so they hold Paul for an extended period of time. And then because there was a threat on his life, he ends up getting transferred down to Caesarea. Remember all that? And then Paul sets in Caesarea for two years. And he realizes, I'm not getting anywhere with these local authorities. And so in Acts chapter 25 and verse 11, he says, For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. That word appeal, that's the exact same word, Greek word, that is used in Acts chapter 2 and verse 21 and in Romans 10 and verse 13. Paul says, I call on Caesar. You see that? Sound, does anybody think that Paul was going to sit there in jail in Caesarea and just yell, Caesar, Caesar. And all of a sudden he's going to be saved. No. What Paul is saying, I appeal, I call on Caesar. In accordance with Caesar's authority and the laws that are under his dominion. I make my call. I make my appeal. And so what happened after that? They said, okay. And so the Roman soldiers were assigned to him. He got on a ship. He sailed for Rome. He got there. And then he remained two more years under house arrest before he ever got to see Caesar. Can we see that? So when he appealed to, whenever he called on Caesar, he recognized now I will have to submit with to whatever goes along with that. And that's what he did. And then eventually, he got his case heard. And he got released. So we know it's more in the New Testament. I'll show you some others. That it's more than just saying the name. So Paul says, I appeal to, I call upon Caesar. One commentator put it like this. In appealing to Caesar, he was claiming the right of a Roman citizen to have his case judged by Caesar. He was asking that his case be transferred to Caesar's court and Caesar hear it and pass judgment on his case. In so doing, he indicated... He was resting his case on Caesar's judgment. 
But in order for that to be done, Paul had to submit what was ever necessary for that to take place. I'll have to do whatever's necessary if I appeal to Caesar. Another writer said, that in a nutshell is what calling on the Lord involves. Submitting to obedience to appeal, to call on his name. He said, that's what Paul did. It's not just verbal, but it's a petition, and then you're willingly going to submit. So Paul did that. But now I give you another reference from the book of Acts. Because Paul makes an appeal But on another occasion, Paul is pursuing those who are calling on the Lord. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul, previous to him being converted, then Saul, still breathing breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, So that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Saul, Paul, he's a Pharisee. He's a Jew. He is opposed to those who would follow after Jesus Christ. And he says he's going to go looking for any of those who are in the way. (laughs) The way described Christianity at that time. That's what they first said about him. Well, they are of the way. They're following after Jesus Christ. So he gets authority from the high priest. I want to go to Damascus and I want to pursue them, men, women, whoever it is, and I want to bring them bound back here. I want them to stand trial. So you read the book, uh, or read the rest of Acts chapter 9, and what happens? Paul heads out for Damascus, and before he ever gets there, Who shows up? Jesus Christ himself shows up. Paul is struck blind. And then he hears a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who art thou, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then Saul responds and says, What would you have me do, Lord? So now I want to read to you. Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 11. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight. He has sent him into Damascus. I'm getting ahead of myself. (laughs) Jesus appears to Ananias. and He's going to send Ananias to Saul. Okay, So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. He's been there three days. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, And here he has authority from the chief chief priest 
to bind all who call on your name. See what I think? All who call on your name. What do you think is being insinuated? Do you think they've just gathered together in Damascus someplace and they're all standing around going, Lord, Lord. Or is he saying, these are the ones who are Christians. These are the ones who are in the way. And they are following after Jesus Christ. And when Saul goes to Damascus, that's who he's looking for. And then Ananias says, we've heard about this guy. He's been after those back in Jerusalem. And he's after all those who call on your name. Those who are following after you. Those who are disciples of yours. So calling on the name is more than just initially appealing to the Lord. It's also continuing to follow after the Lord. Okay. Old Testament, once again, the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 9. Looking forward to that period of time just like Joel was talking about in the future. Whosoever will call on him shall be saved. Zephaniah says it this way. For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. So that's what Zephaniah says. So you put those passages together. Is there an appeal there for salvation? Yeah. But is it also that they are going to follow after serve him? Yes, it is when you put those things together. So when you take a look at Joel chapter 2, when you take a look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 21, when you take a look at Romans 10 and verse 13, and whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, does that help you to understand Matthew 7 and verse 21? When he says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord... But he who does the will of my Father which is heaven. Can we start to match those together? Yeah. That's what those passages are teaching. Now, calling on the Lord to be saved. Acts chapter 2 and verse 21. It's the day of Pentecost. This is the first gospel sermon that is ever being preached. And then this is where Peter is saying, that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that's what you now hear and see. And then in verse 21, he says, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. By looking at all those other passages, then we start to understand exactly what Peter was saying, but he's not done. So it's like, continue to follow him. So when you come down to Acts chapter 2 and about verse 37, because Peter is going to convince them that that one whom they've crucified, that God has now made both Lord and Christ. And when they come to realize that's what they've done, 
You come to verse 37, and then they cry out. It says they were cut to the heart, and they cry out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Not what shall we say, but what shall we do? And so Peter responds. He says, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of, by his authority. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises made to you and to your children and all those who are far off, as many as our Lord, our God, shall call. You know what Peter just said? You remember that mirror? Peter just got him to look in the mirror. What you did, that's real ugly. What shall we do? Peter says, I got the balm for you. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know what I say? It's free. It's free. Now how about if you walk through that mall and they say, hey, look at this mirror. I want to show you something. You really need this. How much is it? It's free. You can have. That's what Peter just said. It's free. What the Lord wants you to do is to take and apply it. But it won't do you any good if you don't apply it. That's what he's saying. I want you to notice verse 40 through 41 now. Acts chapter 2. And verse 40 through 41. So when they ask, Peter responds. Verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and he exhorted them saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added unto them. You know what that says? Those who received, those who believed what he said. He said, we'll, we'll do that. We'll, we'll apply that. But I want you to notice verse 40, because I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, and with many other words... He testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Does anybody have... I'm not asking you to read it. I'm just saying. Anybody got the New King... Or anybody got the King James Version? Any of you have the New Revised Standard Version? Do any of you have the NIV Version? Do any of you have the ESV Version? 
because if you do, you'll notice the difference in verse 40. The New King James Version says, be saved from this perverse generation. All those other translations say, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. You know what Peter's saying? you got to take it, and you've got to apply it. And if you do, that's how you save yourself. Because you took the remedy, and you made application of it. It's being given to you free. All you have to do is just simply apply it. So now, I'm going to move to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 is where we based our title for the lesson. I'm going to read to you from Romans chapter 11 and now this time, or Romans chapter 10, I'm sorry. Romans chapter 10 beginning at verse 11 and read all the way down through verse 15. Romans chapter 10 beginning, yeah, Romans chapter I keep turning to chapter 11. <laughs> it's chapter 10. I promise. It's 10. Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now watch what he says in verse 14 and 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Now you take that. Kind of ask yourself, Paul asks a bunch of rhetorical questions, doesn't he? And so what's the point that he's making? When I was at Park Hill South, the class right next to me was a beginning engineering class. And I used to talk to that instructor in there from time to time, and they would talk about reverse engineering. (laughs) It's where you take something that's already made and you basically take it apart. It's like reverse engineering. Do that with what Paul says here in verses 15 back through verse 13. And you get the point of what he's saying. So in verse 15, he says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. That's the end. The product's all put together. And he said, that's a beautiful thing when that good news is preached. But now then back up. Verse 15, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? Well, who first preached that in Acts chapter 2? That's an apostle. You know what that means? That's one who is sent. Why did he preach that good news? Because he was sent. Verse 14. And how shall they hear without a preacher? 
Well, now they've got one, don't they? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Well, guess what? Now they've heard, haven't they? And how shall they call on him on whom they have not believed? See what he just said? Now they can believe. Because they've heard. Because someone was sent and that gospel was preached. Now, verse 13. And whosoever shall call on his name shall be saved. Can we see that? So on the day of Pentecost, when they heard that, and then they asked Peter, what shall we do? And then Peter tells them what to do so that they know how to call upon the Lord. One more. And that's it. Acts chapter 22, once again. Once again, this is the Apostle Paul. And as I mentioned uh, a few moments ago, that in Acts chapter 21, Paul has returned to Jerusalem at the end of the third missionary journey, and then he goes into the temple, and they accuse him of false, give him, make false accusations against him. He ends up being arrested. But in the course of all this, what Paul is doing is he is now recounting in Acts, the latter chapters of Acts, what happened earlier in Acts chapter 9. So, in Acts chapter 9, Paul has, Saul has gone into the city of Damascus. He's been struck blind. He was led there. And he's been fasting and praying for three days. And as we read just a few moments ago, then the Lord appears to Ananias and he sends him to this Saul of Tarsus. And at first, Ananias is reluctant to go. The Lord convinces him he should go. And so finally, Ananias comes in to Saul and listen to what he says. I'll start back up and start at verse 12. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. And he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witnesses to all men of what you have seen and what you have heard. Now watch. Verse 16. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. See what just happened? Peter told them on the day of Pentecost how to call on the Lord. Paul says, Ananias told me how to call upon the Lord. So when Paul writes to the church at Rome, he's writing to those who are already Christians, but he's explaining. This was prophesied. This was foretold. This is the way it was supposed to unfold. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. But when we put all these passages together, then we understand exactly how that fits. How does Acts 2.21 and Romans 10 and verse 13 fit together with Matthew 7 and verse 21? Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, that's not enough. But he who does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So as you take a look at that, that's how we call. That's how we appeal. That's how we apply the balm of Gilead. Essentially, it's what Jeremiah was telling us. Calling on the name of the Lord. Submit to Him in all that He says for salvation and for service. And then there's one other passage that we understand because of that. That's Hebrews 5 and verse 9. He has become the author of salvation to all those who obey Him. Can we see that? So Paul starts in Romans chapter 1 and verse 5. And he concludes in Romans 16 and verse 26. Obedience to the faith. Can we see that? I'm going to extend the invitation now to any and all that are here. If you've never rendered obedience of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it was Jesus himself that said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. If we can help you in any way, you let us know while together we stand, while we sing.